You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, well, what's up, guys? It's Analyst, and we're back again. Um, we weren't planning on doing a second part series to this but you guys really wanted it so here we are we got running backs part two uh the first episode we went through first 15 running backs we added a little extra at the end but it was cmc saquon zeke kamara dalvin cook mixon jacobs henry uh drake chubb sanders eckler clyde edwards Alaire, bell and aaron jones so if you guys want to hear about any of those players go check out part one it's on both of our podcasts me and upper hand as well as on my youtube so Go check that out. But um, all right, you ready to just roll straight into part two? We got a lot of guys to cover. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. By the way, I was always planning on doing a part two. I don't know about you, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad I'm doing it with you. I'm glad you agreed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, with the I I think we basically went over all the important quarterbacks and tight ends. So I think we should definitely do a, a wide receiver part two. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You weren't there for part one. I wasn't there for part part one, but I'm definitely down to do part two. We did seventeen. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. Fifteen, 15 plus good. two extras that rapper had. So nice. Nice. yeah, we can probably cover the rest. But um, all right, so let's just jump straight into it. So first guy I want to talk about uh, Todd Gurley. So Todd Gurley is someone I've been down on the last two years. Obviously, when you have something like degenerative arthritis in your knee, um, it's not something you want to buy into. Um. The thing with Adana is, like, he's going to have that role to himself. And at the same time, I'm not expecting a huge role in the passing game for him, like Devontae Freeman had last year. But there is, like, 200-plus vacated targets available. And the only person that's filled that um, that void is Hayden Hurst and, and Gurley. So he could have some targets going his way. He's got a much better offensive line than he did last year. And he managed to play a good chunk of last year i think he only missed one game through a, a quad string that's right but he, he's you know he, he's definitely not himself and he's definitely not the same running back this is still a very pass heavy team um yeah he, he's not gonna have as much opportunity but he can still end up with nine eight nine ten touchdowns so he's growing on me a little bit but what's what's your take on Gurley? I, I like his price um, you know, yeah. right he's like at the two three turn like i've seen most of the drafts that i've done mock drafts at least I was able to get him like in the middle of the third round, which is I think is good value for him. Um, I think he makes a great RB two, to be honest. Like if I grabbed a wide receiver in one of the first two rounds, uh, I'm good grabbing him, you know, in the in like the third round. Um, he played like you said, 15 games last year, um, averaged 80% of snaps in that second half of the season. Um, it didn't seem like the arthritis in his knee kept him from getting work. Right, I guess they they tried to get those other guys involved, but they were just like, "This is not going to do it for us." So they just kind of put him back in, um, you know, in a in a workhorse type of role. Um, I I think like the like the knee issues, I think it did affect his explosiveness, right? I think that was obvious. Um, 
But the Falcons, they, they had an even worse running back playing the position last year in Devontae Freeman. Um, and I love the role that Gurley's stepping into, to be honest. I think Devontae Freeman is washed. I've said that on multiple occasions, and it, 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 that's, in my, that's my opinion. But he was averaging 17.3 touches per game last year, including five targets per game. There were three games last year where Freeman had eight-plus targets. And I think Gurley has the skill set to continue getting that type of work. Um, and even more work in the running game than Freeman was getting. So I'm, I'm curious to know why you think Gurley uh, wouldn't uh, assume um, that passing work. So for me, it's like I, when, when you see a guy like Gurley, I profile him more as like a bruiser, more of like a you know goal line, early down type back. Not that he's not capable of catching passes, but I think just a guy like Devontae Freeman, that's like his specialty. Right. So a guy like Devontae Freeman, you want on those third down situations when you in those passing situations and uh, not saying Gurley can't be that guy as well. But if you're trying to limit his snaps on the field, maybe having him back in pass protection and going out wide for a pass is just you know, if you don't do it as much, it limits his time on the field. And they have other capable pass catchers, too, like Ito Smith's not bad. And these aren't great running backs that I'm going to name. But these are guys who are capable pass catchers. Like Brian Hill played that role last year. Ito Smith is going to be there. So um, I, I just I just don't think he's going to have the same role Devontae Freeman had in the receiving game. I think he's definitely going to be involved. Right. But I wouldn't go as much to say like, oh, Devontae Freeman what was it? He had like 79 targets. I don't even know how many targets he had last year. But um, well, if he had five per game, and I think he played like 12 games or something like that. So it, it was up there. I mean. The yeah, thing with like Gurley, so like his efficiency in the in the receiving game has been really good in his career. Yeah. Uh, nine year, like going back to his rookie year, I'm gonna go through it. So he's he's been the year for, been in the league for five years now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his his yards per reception nine nine yards per per reception seven point six twelve point three nine point eight six point seven six point seven really last year six point seven was last year, and and six point seven isn't that bad. No, you know, it's, it's not bad for running back for a running back. Um, but look at those other numbers. So I think he is, you know, he caught 43 balls his sophomore year, 64, 59. So I think he's super capable. And then on top of that, he's efficient uh, in 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 the passing game. So I, I think he could definitely assume the same role that Freeman was getting. And if you look at like Freeman, uh, what he was doing, he wasn't as efficient either. Like they were just chucking the ball down to him. Um, yeah, I think there was so, a game yeah, no, where he had like, like nine catches. They were just kept chucking it down. Yeah, dude. And that passing volume kept Freeman like as a solid RB2, despite mm. the fact that he was terrible. As a matter of fact, his Freeman's weighted opportunity was in the top 10 last season in PPR. Right right below Carson at number eight. That's pretty good. Right? But Freeman just didn't score any touchdowns in the run game. And he scored four in the receiving game. And I think he scored only two on the ground. So, you know, with that offense being as potent as we think it's going to be, uh, Gurley, I think he should have ample goal line opportunity. It's basically where he made up for his performance last year, right? He had 14 total touchdowns last year. So, you know, that was more of an anomaly, I guess. But, yeah, I, I, for his price, I'm I'm in on him, uh, you know, for an early third-round pick. Like, when they signed him, I wasn't, like, really into it. But when I looked into it a little bit more, looked at how he played last year um, and then the role that he's stepping into and then w- what I've over time projected this offense to do, I'm like, you know what, it's, it's really hard – uh, to hate on, on him and that role, um, while understanding that the upside is not like you know top five, obviously, yeah, right? Yeah. Because Tiger really isn't the same guy. 
Um, but he could be capable. That's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of in a similar boat. Like I said, he's growing on me. Um, I, I'm still not a believer he's going to get all that passing down work. But if he does, and it's not out of the realm of possibility, it could boost him up to that top 10 range. So uh, it's definitely possible. But an, another guy who I want to talk about who is heavily involved in the passing game is David Johnson. So I have David Johnson here at 17. Uh, I had him at 15 at some point, kind of moved him down a little bit. But he's still floating in that. Uh, solid running back two range, especially, and I'll, and I'll say this, in PPR. So uh, we, uh, if you guys have heard us talk before, we usually always just keep PPR as the regular, as the norm. So if you hear us talking, unless we say otherwise, like we'll say like, oh, in standard, maybe not. But just assume everything's PPR, basically. But um, anyway, so last year, Duke Johnson had 62 targets while averaging only 49% of the snaps. Um so that that's not bad for a guy playing 49% of the snaps. It's actually pretty good. But um, my phone's coming off. <laughs> What's going on? Any, any breaking news? Yeah, the, I don't even want to talk about the Redskins, bro. I don't even know what the hell is oh up with that organization. <laughs> Either way, back to some yeah, we're, good news. We're recording this. We're recording this podcast like a f- few hours after you know all the allegations have come through you know via the washington post so i'm still trying to absorb it honestly like i was hanging out with my kids to put, the, put them to sleep you know and like in the middle of them taking a bath and stuff like that i was like, looking at my phone i'm like what the hell is going on right now so i haven't got a chance to like fully digest it but it's some crazy shit it is some crazy shit so if i think there's a it's on the washington post and some other uh articles you have to pay for it so i think some other articles copied it and put the gist of it there so you can find it there but uh, back to DJ here. So he he's never really had a great offensive line, even like going back to his really, uh, I think it was like his second year he had that breakout year. So um, even back to that year, he's never had a great offensive line. You look at his production from 2018, and uh, I mean, that offensive line was god-awful. Even you look at the line from last year, that offensive line was god-awful, and then he got injured. So on top of that, I feel like in, the injuries have been like unlucky injuries too. It's it hasn't been like, uh, like, like I think he had like a chest injury this last season. I I, I might be wrong with that. Like he had that back, back injury, and then he has he had this like he had an ankle injury, right? But the ankle injury was also like weird. Like they didn't declare it a high ankle sprain, but then like people assumed it was a high ankle sprain because he was out so long. We couldn't figure out if it was the ankle or the back that was keeping him yeah. out. Both. Like we just, it was so much weird, like injury reporting when it came when it came to that. And then you had Christian Kirk a few weeks later. He had a high ankle sprain, and they were just like, "Yeah, he has a high ankle sprain." <laughs> so like, it's just so hard to determine. What was Why can't you be honest? But I mean, <laughs> now in Houston, they don't have the best offensive line, right? It, it's a line that still needs work, but it's I think it's much better than what he had last year. It's definitely an upgrade. And then you have a guy like Deshaun Watson who can open things up for him. You have Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks to stretch the field deep. Um, so we talked about Duke Johnson's targets, but we didn't, we didn't really talk about too much about Carlos Hyde and what he did last year. I mean, Carlos Hyde, there was a game where Carlos Hyde, and, and I love bringing this up, he had 17 carries for 27 yards. And that doesn't sound promising. That doesn't sound great. But what it goes to show is that like Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde had two different roles. Right. So even like Carlos Hyde's role was to run it, run it, run it and not stop running it. And Duke Johnson's role was to come in, catch a few passes. And that was that. But if you have a guy like DJ, 
what it tells me is that DJ could be on the field for all three downs. I don't like if they're not going to put Duke Johnson over Carlos Hyde when he's running 17 for 27. I don't know if they're really going to take DJ off the field, who is a capable pass catcher, to put Duke on the field and steal running work, whatever it is. So, uh, point being, I think Duke's going to—I mean, not Duke. I think DJ is definitely going to be the primary ball carrier. Carrier. He's definitely going to see a ton of running back targets. I mean, there's 150 available from Deshaun, uh, from DeAndre Hopkins. We don't know Kenny Stills' situations. Both Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller can't stay healthy. I mean, we have uh, concerns with Brandon Cooks about the concussions, and uh, the only other guy is Randall Cobb. But I think. DJ's still going to be that short to intermediate guy. He's got a lot of PPR upside, even if he's not that freak athlete that we uh, assumed him to be in that first season where he had that breakout season. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, are they allowed to even take him off the field since they traded him for DeAndre Hopkins? Or do you, <laughs> they traded, like, they traded, I think they gave a third rounder for Duke Johnson last year. Right. And he only comes in on, in passing situations 49% so. of the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. Um, <clears throat> honestly, like, David Johnson's one of the guys I'm struggling with the most as far as assessing, like, what to expect in 2020. I know he was hurt last year. Uh, before week six, you know, he was fine. Like, he was the RB5 in PPR up until mm-hmm. that point. Um, you know, and like I said, many believe he had a high ankle sprain in week six. Um, I'm not sure that if that was ever made official. I don't think it was. I, I tried, like going crazy looking for it uh but you know when christian kirk had that high ankle sprain they said it was a high ankle sprain so i'm not sure why they kept his a secret if it was one um then he had the back issue right and i'm not sure and that back issue was interesting because in in those games after he had the back issue like it just seemed like he was running with a piano on his back that's what it looked like um like you said he's gonna be a three down back right there's gonna be value there um you know one of his best assets is receiving um so his weighted opportunity is going to be there as well um Carlos Hyde, so you mentioned Carlos Hyde. He averaged 16 carries a game, right, during the fantasy season. Wasn't involved in the passing game at all, right? So there is a possibility, and you touched on it, that DJ sees that plus a ton of work in the passing game with all the vacated targets, right? Um, now, is Duke Johnson, do you think Duke Johnson is going to be just kicked to the curb um, while Johnson is healthy? I think that's a valid question because they that would seem like a serious waste to me you know what i'm saying like do you think that there's a world where they have like a 65 35 split something like that you think that's possible um i i think duke's gonna kind of not do i keep getting them confused well they're both djs so yeah <laughs> oh it's so true but um i could honestly see david johnson having a season similar to what Le'Veon bell had last year maybe mm-hmm. if not better Right. To where he's going to be involved in the passing game. Other guys are going to filter in here or there. I mean, uh, Ty Montgomery, right? Maybe like if you combine Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell, that would be Duke Johnson. And don't, then you don't have... hate on my boy Duke Johnson like that, bro. <laughs> do not do that. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not saying talent wise. I'm saying opportunity wise, <laughs> right? Because Ty Montgomery was involved in the passing game from here and there. And then if you combine him Plow, with got... Powell. He did get hurt in the beginning of the season, so who knows? Who, who knows if he stayed healthy? If, if well, he was healthy at a certain point. I'm surprised that they, this is such a ta- tangent. I'm surprised they didn't do <laughs> that two running back uh, formation that yeah, we saw. We saw it. when we went to the practice. We saw that they were doing yeah. that a lot. You remember that, right? And I'm surprised they didn't do it during the season. But anyway. Yeah. But anyway, but, point being, I, I think David Johnson is going to be one of those guys who's on the field 80, 75 percent, 80 percent of the snaps. Right. Um, and that's that's a lot. So that means that, that is if, if that's the case, like you're not getting too many guys around his price, like maybe Le'Veon, James Conner, maybe those are guys who are going to, 
you know, uh, have that sort of role. It's, that's what it seems like. At least Le'Veon Bell for sure. James Conner probably, maybe. Um, so, yeah. So, And also I have I, – I busted a myth here. I have a player profile up player profiler up and they diagnosed david johnson with a back strain in week five and a high ankle sprain in week six right i so saw both. that and then and the guy who runs player profiler like oh he put a comment he's like i don't know he's very <laughs> bi- he's very biased you know when it comes to this particular topic so I, I, i'm gonna take that one with a grain of salt okay. um, but yeah no i get it man like I, i'm so i'm not going out of my way to grab dj Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but like, I'm going to consider him at the, at like the middle to end of the third, uh, maybe like Le'Veon. Well, I think I'm going to take Le'Veon Bell before David Johnson. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I'm going to take, and, and James Conner is an interesting one. I honestly think James Conner has more of a injury risk than David Johnson. So like, if I, if I'm, if I'm going safer, I'll probably go DJ over James Conner. If I want to go for super upside, like top five, um, you know, James Conner, just because of his damn role in that Steelers offense with Big Ben back, like he has that upside. So it's kind of what you're going for. And, you know, who who have you picked in the first two rounds, right? Have you gone super risk, risky or have you, you know, ha- you, you guys have solid floors where you need some upside? It depends. Yeah, and it, it seems like David Johnson is just one of those guys who end up following to me in the end of the third round. And I'm like, yeah, it's the best running back available. I'm yeah. playing in a PPR league. Why not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a no-brainer at that point. You know, end of the third, it's like, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. So uh, another guy who usually tends to fall that late is guy uh, Melvin Gordon. So Melvin Gordon, now at the Broncos, it's kind of a confusing situation because if you look at the outside of it, you say, like, okay, this Denver has been a rotation running back system for quite some time. But now they have Pat Shermer. And uh, with Pat Shermer, he tends to only use one running back. And Melvin Gordon seems to be that guy. I mean, they paid him, I think it was like eight, nine, ten million million, $10 million uh, yeah. per year. I think it was eight, somewhere around eight. But um, point being, he's very capable pass catcher. He's going to be the guy in passing downs. He's going to be the goal line back. And I'm sure other guy like Philip Lindsay is going to filter into the early downs. But he's there when you need the value. He's like the most valuable things for him would be the goal line work and the receiving work. So as long as he's on the field for those two things, he, he I have him 18 just because I'm kind of unsure about the offense in general. Like at first it was really high on Drew Locke, but then I kind of looked more into it. And I'm like, he's still got a lot to prove. He, he you know, would you say that like RB 18 is like his floor? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would. I would. I want more confirmation that yeah. that's what Pat Shermer is going to do because right. I don't think Philip Lindsay is going to go down quietly. Right. Right. Like, I don't that, think he's just sure. going to get shoved into nothing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how efficient he's going to be either because I think he's got like a career like 3.8, 3.7 yards per carry <laughs> or something like that. So I am a little worried about his efficient, his efficiency and what he does for those touches. Right. He seems to me from time to time that he's a high volume type of runner. Right. Um, or at least at the very least a goal line runner. So yeah. he'll get his opportunities, but I, I have questions about Drew Locke. I have questions about this offense, but he's in a really good situation. So I, I would say like, I'd say like running back 20, 21 would be his floor and right. his ceiling could be like a top 10 guy. I mean, at right. the very best. So, yeah. So you need the offense to 
kick on all cylinders at that point. That's true. I mean, they do need to take a step up. I, and, you know, they have the pieces, like Drew Locke, you know, you, you would have to think that he takes a... No, you, you wouldn't have to think it, but you would hope that he takes a step forward, mm-hmm. right? And then he has a couple more weapons, you know, a decent offensive line. You know, they could, they could do some things. But um, I, I like Philip Lindsay, right? I think he's talented, um, but I, I, was just, I just he's just never going to be the main guy. He wants to be the main guy. A lot of Broncos fans want him to be the main guy, but he's not going to be the main guy. He's small. He's got a good story. He's, yeah. Oh, my God. His story's incredible. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, his size, unfortunately, like, he's just too small. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Gordon, uh, I think he's going to come in, play, like, 60% of the snaps at the very least. Um, like And like you said, you, I think you nailed it perfectly. Like, he'll get the goal line looks. Uh, he'll be the primary passing down back, right, in addition to whatever work he gets on early downs. I think that's where, he, where he'll be splitting work on mm-hmm. those early downs. But he's going to get a chunk of everything, right? And that's he's going to be the primary pass catcher, I think, primary goal line guy. And then he'll get some early down work. So I, I do think from a real football sense, I do, the, do, do think that these two guys complement each other very well. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, with Gordon being involved in all the phases of the game, uh, I think he'll be a solid RB2, right? And when you look at – when when I say solid RB2, I always think like RB18, right? Like, the, like right in the middle. <laughs> um, yeah. And when you look at Pat Shermer's history, right, he's used workhorse backs, like you said, right? His RB1s have historically had most of the work. Yeah. Um, that can suggest that Gordon will get a majority of the work, especially since he's capable in all phases and the fact that they, they paid him. Right. Um, as a, as a, like a legit RB one. So um, that's why his upside can be a little bit higher than we think. Right. Because Pat Sherman likes that guy. So, you know, I think that there is a little bit of upside with Gordon. Uh, but, you know, his opportunity should be there. Um, a solid RB two at the very least, I think. Yeah. And a guy who's not going to be in our top 35, at least for me, I, I think it's going to be the same for us. But Philip Lindsay is not going to touch my top 35 i mean I, I just don't see a scenario where i ever draft him and i'm like oh like maybe something maybe melvin gordon gets hurt and then he plays less snaps than royce freeman and is a fringe running back too like and you're drafting him in like the what the ninth eighth ninth round like whatever his adp is i, I just don't see a scenario where philip Prinsley is on any of my teams um i, I just don't see the upside he has as the change of pace back, he, he had less targets than Royce Freeman. He played less snaps than Royce Freeman. And then you add another guy over him. So I I just don't see a scenario where I draft him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, the <laughs> only scenario where I'll draft Philip Lindsay is if I desperately need some running back depth. Um, that's that's about it. And if, <laughs> I, if I'm in a situation where um, my flex is a little shaky or my RB2 spot is a little shaky, then I would, I'm looking at, like, the, the ninth round, and I'm like, all right, well, you know, what running backs are available? Um, but even then, I'd rather grab, like, an upside guy, like like a Zach Moss or, like, a Naheem Hines later yeah, on. Yeah, Zach like, Moss is definitely somebody that, you know, should be uh, – you should take a look at Zach Moss for sure. Um, now, we talked about uh, Melvin Gordon's downside, and what his downside is is that this turns into a 50-50 share, mm-hmm. right, where – the, the difference between where Melvin Gordon is being drafted and Philip Lindsay is being drafted is actually too much of a difference. But but I, what I would say is, would it be a 50-50 difference or would it be a 33-33-33? Because I just talked about before how, for whatever reason, Royce Freeman had more snaps than Philip Lindsay and he had more targets well, than Well, if you, if, you, if you looked at last year, Philip Lindsay was 
the better player on the field. And then there, there became a point in there, there was a point in the season where they gave the reins to Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay was the guy who was getting much more snaps. So I'm going to go, I'm going to look at uh, Philip Lindsay's uh, snap count. And there's a, there's a point where Philip Lindsay just kind of takes over a little bit. Um, but since we're on the topic and I'm not going to let it go. So, um, <laughs> I saw we're here. Right. So like he, he didn't reach uh, 50% of snaps, um, until week 10. And then, and then after week 10, he was over 50% of snaps, one, two, three, four, five times, five of the last seven games. Um, and in those games, um, he had an increase, uh, his, his work increased a ton. So his work, um, went up to, he was averaging, uh, let's see, um, 17 touches per game, opposed mm-hmm. to the earlier part of the season where it was a little less than that. Um, and Royce Freeman wasn't averaging as much. So let's see, Royce Freeman was doing around th- that same spot. So, and it wasn't because of an injury to Royce Freeman or anything like that. It was just more like Not we thought, well. what I thought it was going to be was a changing of the guard, right? Mm-hmm. And Royce Freeman ended up not having more than eight carries in any game or nine carries in any game after week eight. So, uh, so yeah. he was averaging, let's see, he was averaging 14 touches per game, uh, 14.3 touches per game uh, from weeks one through eight. And then after that, after we, from week nine and on, he was averaging 7.6 touches a game. So there was a clear changing of the guard there, where they were like, "All right, well, Phil Lindsay is the more dominant guy," um, and he, he and it, he was he was playing a lot better than than Royce Freeman was in the beginning part of the year, and they made a shift. So I do think that like this this is not going to be a situation where you know you're, you're taking Lindsay off the field or you're taking Melvin Gordon off the field for Royce Freeman. Royce mm. Freeman, unfortunately, I think he's the forgotten man in this in this scenario. Now, if if Gordon were to go down. I do think this becomes a, a another timeshare, right? Like I don't think yeah. Lindsay is going to be like the the handcuff to to Melvin Gordon. I do think he might become the one A, but it, that that split will be even closer to, than whatever split Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I, I love this rabbit hole that we just went through. Like has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but like we still- got fifteen more running backs to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's do it, man. Don't worry, guys. This podcast will only be two hours long. It's all good. Uh, it probably will, but you know what? That's fine. <laughs> I love it. I love talking about <laughs> stuff like this. Um, so next guy on the list, we have Chris Carson. So I have him a little higher than I think some other people do. A little, I don't know. Everybody's either like top 15 or like outside the top 20. So I guess I'm somewhere in the middle of 19. But uh, he, he's still going to be the 1A going into the season. He managed to play, I think, most games. Did he Did he even miss a game last year? It might have been one or two, if anything. He did. Or, or did, to, but he, he played in all the games, but I think he was like banged up. Yeah, yeah, as usual. That's what it was. <laughs> but um, so he's the one A. You have Carlos Hyde's going to be that guy early on. Uh, Penny's probably going to start on the pup list, and he could come in later in the season. But when Penny does come in, this is going to be. I, I really think it's going to be a three-man rotation, and Carlos Hyde. He's capable of taking a lot of those, a lot of that early down work. You know, like they they said it's going to be Chris Carson being the main guy, then Carlos Hyde. But Carlos Hyde's been consistently hurting fantasy owners for like three or four years now. I think he took a year off when he uh, got traded from Cleveland to to uh, Jacksonville. He took right. the one year off vacation, but then he came back and uh, 
stuck the thorn in our side in Houston last year. So <laughs> ruined our Duke Johnson dreams. But I mean, still like Chris Carson, he played 70% of the snaps last season, even splitting with Penny. He had the fifth most rushing yards. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just obviously the injury concern with Carson, as always. It's still going to be prol- a prolific rushing offense, but um, it could just really get ugly when you have a guy like Penny and Carson in that same backfield. Uh, and, and Penny was explosive when he played last year, too. It seems like we're just waiting for that year where Penny stays on the field. It just hasn't happened. So. Yeah, I, I personally would completely count out Rashad Penny for next season. Yeah. So, the thing is, like, he, he's going to start on the pop list. He, he tore his ACL in December, mm. and with that torn ACL, he had uh, associated meniscus damage as well that he had to get repaired. And because of that, um, I did a little bit of research, and because of that meniscus repair, after the surgery, they can't do anything for about a month or so um, at all um, because, um, the, because the, the, the part of the surgery that they – the part of the knee that they repair – you know, if you kind of bend the knee in a certain way, like you're not even allowed to move because it would actually ruin the progress that you had on, you know, because of the surgery. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where like he's going to start on the pup list. He's probably going to miss like at least like the first like quarter or third of the season. Um, and when he comes back, I, I it's going to be really tough to say how uh, effective he's going to be uh, because of that. So I, I'm personally like I really think this is going to be like the Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde show next year and maybe dj dallas yeah maybe man <laughs> <laughs> um but I, you know the i think it's funny. Like, i actually think carlos hyde exactly like he kind of fits what the seahawks want to do right they just want to run the ball a lot right yeah. and you saw what he did last year in houston um carson should still be the guy uh but i can definitely see hyde taking a lot of work or some work away from carson right giving him more of a breather than they've been able to give him last year mm-hmm. right they had mike davis in 2018 sharing the load Right, and they wanted Rashad Penny, like they let Mike, let Mike Davis go, and they wanted Rashad Penny to be that yeah, guy in 2019, um, but that didn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Carson banged up, like it seems like every year. Um, obviously, his running style contributes to that, um, and then the fumbles last year, like that was like a real issue at some point. Where like, Pete Carroll, yeah. the only reason why he wasn't taken off the field was Pete Carroll loves the guy. He was just like, nope, that's my guy, that's my guy. <laughs> like I don't care, he can fumble every game, it's fine, no problem. Average a fumble a game, that's cool. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I think taking away a, a, a little bit of work from him, um, uh, might make him more efficient. Like it might be something they just try this year. So Carlos Hyde himself isn't amazing, but he's solid. And that's all the Seahawks need for their style of offense. I think, you know, where he's going, Carson is appropriate right before that, like slight tear gap, right? Mm-hmm. John Taylor, Mark Ingram, Montgomery, Singletary. So if you're hard pressed for an RB two near the three, four turn, I think Carson might be like that last one that you can have some confidence in. Um, now, yeah, your question. Now, if Carson were to get hurt, I think Hyde can become very fantasy relevant. And there is risk with Carson injury-wise this year, along with all the fumbles he had last year. So if Carl, if if you're drafting, let's say you have a deeper bench, because I know you don't like to handcuff, um, but if you had a deeper bench, would you consider drafting uh, Carlos Hyde late? Yeah, I definitely would, especially because with um, COVID as well, one of the things they just released is that if a player gets COVID, they go on a three-week IR. And then after that, I'm assuming they're going to have to get back into football shape or whatever from taking three weeks off. So it could be like a four- or five-week type thing before a player's back in, on the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, even in that situation, like Carlos Hyde's a five-week running back one. 
And then that's not even including any potential injuries to Chris Carson, which he's had over the years. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Carlos Hyde definitely has value as a handcuff. Um, yeah, depending don't put on, like on people, man. <laughs> don't put I, had like to, people, I had bro. to bring that up. I try to go each one without bringing it up, but I had to bring it up once. Bro, but, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wood right now. If Chris Carson gets that COVID, bro, uh, it's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't draft him. I didn't draft him. <laughs> now we don't, we don't wish COVID on anyone. Just public service. Okay, we don't wish COVID on our worst enemies. No, Actually, not at all. maybe one or two people, but no. Okay, that was <laughs> joking. Joking. <laughs> we had to, we had to say it. <laughs> um so another guy we, we talked about this guy last podcast so if there's anything you want to add uh we kind of talked about him at the end a little bit leonard fournette i have him really low right i have him at 20 20 that's not that low i mean a lot of people he's being taken at the second round so is to he, have him oh yeah he, i didn't realize I, I didn't realize how high his adp was because i never even look at him <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, his ADP on Fantasy Football Calculator is third round, top of third. Really? Yeah. Cal- they, they changed it up, though. They just take it from the actual site, and I don't think anybody mock drafts on Fantasy Calculator now. No, they do. There's, there was like 1,500 mock drafts between the last two days. So oh. people. Hang on. The, 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 the thing was with, like, you know, it's fine. I mean, this is how they always did it, really. No. Yeah. Nothing really changed. But... but Point but yeah, no, I, I I have seen mock drafts though where people have drafted Fournette in the second round, and I think a lot of it has to do with what he did last year and his opportunity last year. Issue, I hit the mic real quick, but we should be good. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Did you hear what I said about Fournette? About yeah. like people like just drafted him because of what he did last year and his opportunity last year. Yeah, and. and- and I think a big part of it too is that he had a low touchdown number, so uh, and he was still among the top running backs. So if with any improvement to the rushing touchdown category, if he gets six instead of three, he could be propelled into a top five running back. But uh, his his passing work is going to get chopped up. The team hates him. He could be traded midseason to a crappy situation. So hey man, I, what what about Drew Jay Gruden? Like, is is he gonna like? There's so, a lot of shit coming on, like about Jay Gruden, like with this all this Redskins stuff coming out. So I'm very curious to see, like, what happens if he gets any discipline. From from what I've seen, from everything I've seen so far, nobody has named Jay Gruden in any part of it. Officially? Officially, there's been allegations. Right. But um, I've seen people talking about it on Twitter. They're saying nobody, like Jay Gruden, hasn't been named in anything so far. So I, I don't want to say that's. 100% true. Gotcha. Because it could change in the future if people step forward, whatever. But um, So you're saying Jay, all the stuff that I read about Jay Gruden today. I read so much stuff about all the players. Do you see anything <laughs> about Capri Bibbs? Yeah. I heard about the Capri Bibbs. But it's apparently so, that, that I think has been debunked. Yeah. I think that, that, that one's not true because he didn't get cut that game. Basically, okay, everyone's wondering what the hell we're talking about. So basically <laughs> – uh, and we'll just talk about the Capri Bibbs thing and not about all the other shit that Jay Gruden is yeah. accused of by all these random people. Um, but the Capri Bibbs thing was like, all right, well, well actually, this kind of gets into some crazy stuff too. But for some off-the-football reasons, uh, off-the-football field reasons, uh, Jay Gruden cut Capri Bibbs, allegedly, 
And he, he wasn't uh, cut. He was benched for Byron Marshall. Was it Byron Marshall who was the guy who? Okay, well, it was Byron it was Marshall. Byron Marshall. And then Byron Marshall came in and whiffed on a block. Which resulted in Alex Smith's injury. Right. So, but apparently that's been debunked. And we and I, so I when I first saw that, I was just like, no way. That's crazy. But it doesn't look like that's what happened here. Hopefully not. We'll see. I'm still going to look into this shit. I'm going to go to TMZ.com as soon as this is over. And for anyone wondering why we're bringing this up and why it's important to Leonard Fournette's value is because Jay Gruden's guy, Chris Thompson, is the guy that we're projecting to take all, if not most, of his passing down work. So if you're wondering why this is somehow all connected, even though it's kind of, I don't know, right? some crazy shit went down today. Right. But yeah, I mean, he so, had like he had a shit ton of opportunity last year. Fournette, right? Played on more than ninety percent of snaps on all three downs, mm-hmm. right? A lot of that had to do with John DeFilippo being there last year. Like, he he's a guy who likes to bring in a pass heavy offense. And on top of that, you had um, you had uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Doug Marone calling Leonard Fournette uh the his bell cow every down back. Before yep. the season started. So, like, the information was there for us last year, which is part of the reason why a lot of us loved him at a cheaper price than he's being drafted this year. And he did play 16 games. Yeah, and it was great, and it worked out. Um, so, you know, Chris Thompson, like, the fact that he can't stay healthy, which is kind of true, like, he will be the third down and passing down guy until that happens. Um, he was only behind Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler in receptions before he got hurt last year. You know, after after a few weeks, so um, yeah. you know they had early down guys like Adrian Peterson, Darius Geis. Um, you know, while that was happening, so you know this team's going to be losing a lot, right? And and I think Thompson's going to be on the field a lot because of that. So I would love to hear some news where Gruden says that Fournette is their third down guy, and he might not be, he might be, but he did catch a ton of passes last year. He was not efficient, right? Um, he was averaging three receptions per game before last year, right? Sixty five percent of snaps or so. So. Yeah, so, like, if he can add, like, three receptions per game on top of, like, 15 to 20 carries, that's legit. Like, I'll be happy with that. Um, yeah. But the only thing is none of Gruden's early down running backs over the past several years even got that. So, you know, I don't know. There's just guys around his, you know, around his ADP, like, i just much rather have. Like, their roles are more defined. Exactly. Like we talked about, we named uh, some guys already. But exactly. um, what about James These Conner? guys, like, the, the ones we talked about are going after Leonard Absolutely. Fournette. Yeah. yeah, so one one of them being James Conner. Are are you buying into James Conner this season? Like I said earlier, like it's really about the upside, right? Um, the upside. <laughs> you just see me just knocking my mic. Yeah. Just <laughs> Conner. So like, I think him being taken this late, like mm-hmm. people only taking him this late is because of his health, right? Like if he can stay healthy, he can be a steal. Steelers running backs are gold. Speaking he was gold of his health. Yeah. Do you know what injuries he played through last year? Because I have um, it here. Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. So he played through a knee sprain, an ankle sprain, a quad strain, an AC joint sprain, and a quad contusion. Amazing. So he played through five injuries last year. Um, in the games he played, he had 14.6 points per game. But if you take out the two games where he played, I think it was less than 20% of the snaps because he got injured right away. So if you take away those two games, he had 17.5 points per game, which would have put him as the running back nine in mm. points per game last year. So even... And, and that through, was without him playing in a workhorse role. 
Yeah, so and some of the I think one of those injuries came in preseason. So he he was playing through a lot, if not most of those injuries as the season went on. And then on top of that, they didn't really have much of a passing game at all. There was other running backs being used, and uh, I think they just lost their O-line coach the year before. So they didn't, you know, they had some other guys filter in, but that's pretty good for his situation. And then they did lose Ramon Foster. I think he uh, he retired this offseason. Um, there's increased competition. We talk about Anthony McFarlane as a guy we like late when we're doing mocks and stuff like that. So, you know, but there's nothing there's nothing before last season that would suggest James Conner is, quote unquote, injury prone. Right. So the year prior to last year, I believe he had an ankle sprain, which happens. It was one ankle sprain. And the year before that, he had a concussion, two totally unrelated injuries. So as far as his injury history, uh, obviously he had a mess of injuries last year, but Prior to that, there's nothing to really suggest that he's an injury-prone type guy. And nothing about last year. I mean, obviously, he knee sprain, ankle, quad. So quad twice, he got hit with quad twice. But the second one was contusion, which is basically just a bruise. Uh, you know, a bigger bruise, obviously. But point being, I, I, I don't think any of this suggests he's necessarily injury-prone. Although, one of the things I'm sure you'll talk about too is if he does get injured, a guy like Anthony McFarland could easily come in, steal the show, and become the new guy. I don't think they're tied or bound to James Conner by any means. And they, and I think Mike Tomlin even talked about, like, if uh, Conner were to go down, they would give the role to a guy like Benny Snell, and he'd do just fine in his replacement. So, And, and I think they drafted Anthony McFarland for a reason, in case James Conner can't stay on the field. So they have doubts. Right, right. Um uh, Dr. A- Dr. Anthony Poras, who works for FantasyPoints.com, um, I read a lot of his stuff, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. He goes through a lot of these players. And one concern that he has with James Conner specifically is uh, he couldn't finish games uh, due to contact injuries, right, that had to do with connective tissue, right? And this is way above our pay grade. Like, we have no <laughs> idea what the hell this means. But Connective like, tissue. Connective tissue means basically not muscle or tendon. Right, okay. it means like joints, ligaments, your, your labrum, like in your shoulder, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. <Sure>. Um, so, <laughs> th- the number of games that he finished in his career: 13, 12, and nine. Right, in those three seasons. So he couldn't finish games. Right. Um, in 2017, he had a surgery on his MCL. Right. And he made he made a point where, do you know what percentage of players who have an MCL sprain actually have surgery? five percent interesting you know and there was actually like um uh and then last year he had the ac sprain in his shoulder right and that can actually reoccur as well interesting. and you know what he was suggesting he was suggesting that his cancer treatment could have affected his body in a way where his connective tissue just isn't the same as everybody else which is like such a huge stretch like mm-hmm. when I hear that, I'm just like, wow, like that's some that's some really like serious stuff right there. Um, but it's super interesting in any case, whether like it, this makes me like him or not for fantasy. Like I just thought it was super interesting. Um, interesting. But I, I think there are reasons to think that like he can potentially get uh, hurt again, like especially mm-hmm. because of the AC sprain too. And we know that like the shoulder is the AC sprain, I think, is like the one of the most common injuries for a running back. 
um, just because of how much you know how much get their hit getting a hit like in that shoulder. Um, yeah. But but you know, like I said, like he is going to be a guy who, if he's healthy, like he has super super <laughs> high upside. Um, last year they experimented with a shared backfield approach and that just didn't work. Mike Tomlin acknowledged that, right? He said in May that he just wants to go back to the featured running back role. That's <laughs> the guy to find rhythm. And he said that Connor is his guy. Um, and this role, like if you're not aware, it's well documented. This role with Tomlin has gone before Le'Veon Bell, right? Yeah. Um, you know, from Willie Parker, Rashard Mendenhall, uh, to, to, to Le'Veon Bell, to D'Angelo Williams when Bell couldn't play, um, to, to 2018 Connor when he took over for Le'Veon Bell when he held out. <laughs> Right. Um, yep. his, his, he views his other backs and then he said this in the, in the same comments, he views his other backs as supplementing the main running back if he misses time. Right. Um, and I think Connor will have a short leash though. Like you said, if he gets hurt again, because he, he wouldn't be able to stay healthy. Like this will be his fourth year. And because you know, him in and out of the lineup, it will cause this discontinuity. And I think that starting, you, you know, they're going to start exploring those options. Right. Um, Benny, Sm- Benny smell, Benny Snell, um, fourth round rookie Anthony McFarland uh, taking Connor's spot potentially. Um, I think McFarland is the most more versatile dynamic of the two guys, but it seems <laughs> as though Snell might have the upper hand right now as Connor's mm-hmm. backup. You know, mainly because of COVID, that sort of thing. But I'll say this: like Connor has a ton of upside for where he's going, but the fact that you know he's he has such an issue finishing games over his career that might be an issue, right? Um, and, and it's it's not trending upwards either, right? It's trending downwards. Like the the, the amount of games that he missed was. 13, 12, and then last year was nine, right? Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, now, I wouldn't be surprised if he hurts his shoulder again if he gets another big workload. And it seems like he's in line for another big workload, right? Um, and if he yeah. doesn't get a big work, if he doesn't get a big workload, then he might stay healthier. But at the same time, he might disappoint you if he doesn't get that big workload. Um, but you said that even last year, he was still the RB nine if he didn't count the games that he played a ridiculously low amount of snaps. Um, yeah. But at the same time, he wasn't playing like eighty percent of snaps. He averaged around like maybe like fifty to sixty percent of snaps. Yeah, year. I was looking at it, it was like fifty sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, what's even more interesting about that, right? That quote from Mike Tomlin, knowing he has the guys behind Connor, maybe he's not like we talked about before. We talked about uh, Chris Carson being able to preserve him with having a guy like Carlos Hyde there, or even Todd Gurley being in Atlanta to a point where the team's not, the team doesn't revolve around him. So they don't have to view him as an every down type guy. But with James Conner, maybe Mike Tomlin's in the sense of like, we, you know, we're just going to run him. If he gets hurt, we have other guys. Like we're not trying to preserve him by any means. So I guess when you take that sort of mentality, it does make you much more cautious drafting a guy like James Conner in like the third round because you know, the team's not – they don't view – they kind of – it makes it seem like he's kind of like replaceable. Yeah, he's expendable. Yeah. Expendable. So right. if anything, I, I, that is cause for concern with Conner. If he's on the field, you know, like you said, he can't finish games. So I don't know. It, it's tricky. I, I think he's still got the upside – uh, if you can get him in like the fourth round, which I've seen him go like tail end of the third, beginning of the fourth, it's happened. So um, not bad value. But then there's this other guy here, David Montgomery, who's going right next to him. If anything, usually right behind him. Um, he's had no improvement in talking about David Montgomery now, but he hasn't had any improvements to his offensive line. I think if anything, they lost Kyle Long, right? Um, they added Nick Foles, who was really their 
only acquisition if you don't count Ted Ginn and Jimmy Graham who can't block or whatever the hell they added at tight end. I don't fucking know what they did in that position. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, Foles, he didn't really do all that much. Like, I, I guess it keeps the best quarterback in the game. I talked about this with Allen Robinson when we did the wide receiver episode, but it, it keeps the best quarterback in the game. So whether it's Foles being better than Trubisky or Foles pushing Trubisky to be a better quarterback, we're going to have the better quarterback on the field at all times, which is good. It helps Dave Montgomery in that sense. And another thing with Dan Montgomery is he's gonna he's a lock for like 250 plus touches at least. I mean I think he had 240 carries last year, and you kind of have to take away that first one or two games with Mike Davis being involved. So right. he's gonna see a decent workload, and I think this is an offense that wants to lean on him. Uh, he's got a lot of room to grow, and if if Matt Nagy can calm down his play calling a little <laughs> bit, if he can stop trying to be so damn creative and just be simple, get the job done, whatever it is. Can we get some like it, outside zone runs or something like that? Like I feel like yeah, everything like some, is between the center and the guard. Exactly. And there was so much talk last year about how we see we view David Montgomery as the Kareem Hunt of this team. Like yeah. I, I remember when that came out and his fucking draft value went all the way up. Right. But um yeah, I mean sky's the limit for this guy. Even in a shitty offense, I could see him being a low end running back one if all goes well. Like if they get to a point where they have the quarterback play improves and they get more creative with their play calling, maybe he gets a little more involved in the passing game. He could definitely finish his low end at running back one, but I think he's a really good running back three. He he's the kind of guy I would if you if you went anything but a running back in the first three rounds, I think David Montgomery is a guy to look for as your running back three if you're coming into that fourth round. So, yeah, I agree. I, w- I personally would not be comfortable with him as my RB two. Like if I mm-hmm. if I if I do a draft and David Montgomery is my RB two, I failed. Yeah, that's really how I look at it. I think RB three and below is good because because of the volume, right? And then the upside can be there because of that volume. And like you said, nothing really changed for him this year. Um, outside of the potential QB change, right? Um. I think a switch to Nick Foles is going to be a positive for the offense overall, but I think I don't know how much that's going to affect Montgomery. He he already had 14 carries inside the five last year, uh, which was three away from the lead league. Um, his offensive line hasn't changed. Um, he still has it might have even lost a guy, and he still you know he still has Tariq Cohen as the main pass catcher out of the backfield. Yeah. Um, and his his volume on a per game basis was all over the place last year. You know what I mean? It was super inconsistent, and not sure. Why would why anyone would why would we assume that we would find more consistency on a on a game to game basis? That's the biggest problem that I had with Montgomery last year. Yeah. Um. And where he's going, I think like like we said, the case is that he's going to have volume. Uh. No other back will likely get his type of volume like around that spot, right? Um. But I rather like I think guys like Jonathan Taylor, Mark Ingram, Devin Singletary, and especially Kareem Hunt, I think they all have more upside than him, right? And just because of the offense he's on and, and just because of the, his situation. Um, I think I, I, I would say I, they have similar upside, but it's just yeah. – it's much more of a stretch for David Montgomery to reach that upside. Oh, yeah. So I, when I talk about David Montgomery, like I like David Montgomery a lot as a player, mm-hmm. right? You know you know what I'm saying? Like I like – so when I talk about these running backs, it's more about like the running back plus the situation they're in. Like I like him a lot. Like if David Montgomery was on a good team, like dude would be like – 
a baller, bro. Like he would be so good. And I think he's he's a, he's a good player. He's patient. Um, he's he's capable in the pass game. Uh, he's a good blocker too. And I think he would be really good in in another offense. But, um, yeah, I I I, I don't know, man. Like I just think that. Even a guy like Cam Akers, like I might would I might rather have him because I think he has a better chance of being involved, more involved in the pass game than Montgomery does. Um, I'm passing on Montgomery this year unless he falls another round, um, and like I desperately need running back depth because because like I went wide receiver and tight end earlier than I wanted to, mm-hmm. right? And then I need I I need a guy. And I'm like, all right, well Montgomery's gonna get volume, um, so I'm gonna chase the volume and I'm gonna have him. I'm gonna draft him. As my RB3 flex option. So to sum up, I'd rather pass on Monty in the fourth and get Kareem Hunt in the fifth. Yes. Love it. In, in full PPR, yes. <laughs> yeah, in full PPR. In, in um, a half PPR, well, maybe half PPR still rather, but like I think – and also, by it. the way, like when you look at Kareem Hunt, like just, just to talk about it, if you look at Kareem Hunt versus David Montgomery, I think Kareem Hunt uh, poses more risk than David Montgomery because – we don't know what the split's going to look like between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. We just don't know. We're 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 projecting, right? Um, with David mm-hmm. Montgomery, you know that he's going to get 250 touches if he stays healthy. So, you know what I mean? Since we're since we're on the topic, why don't we just we'll, we'll just talk about Kareem Hunt here. So sure. we'll, we'll skip a couple spots. So uh, I I have David Montgomery 22. We're skipping down to 26. Is my Kareem Hunt's my RB 26? Um, he had 45 targets in eight games last year. So obviously eight games is half the season. He would have finished with 90 targets, which I believe would have been fourth or fifth out of all running backs. Um, at the same time, in those last in those eight games, six of those games he finished with more fantasy points than Nick Chubb, right? And that first six games, he was incredibly efficient. He had 14.5 points per game. Um, the last two games the Browns played. They had, I, they just kind of fell apart. Both Nick Chubb and Hunt in those last two weeks couldn't get over 10 points. It was just a mess in those last two games. So I don't even know if I want to count those last two games. But when they were rolling, when Kareem Hunt first got on the team after suspension, after not being in the game plan early on in the season for a whole eight games, he came in and averaged 14.5 points per game in that first six span. So that was great. And I mean, he, he had more snaps than like on average per game basis, he had more snaps than Joe Mixon, Dave Montgomery, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, and Miles Sanders. So these are all guys being drafted ahead of him. And Kareem Hunt was on the field more of all, like for more time than all those guys. And he had 14.5 points per game. So we talk about a true Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram situation from a couple years ago. This could really be it. We could, there could realistically be two running back ones or at least a running back one and a running back two in this offense. And I have no problem taking Kareem Hunt. I think Kareem Hunt's a great running back three, like we talked about with Dave Montgomery. And at the same time, like, I, it sounds weird because I have Dave Montgomery higher, but I swear it's only because of the volume, right? <laughs> but, like, at the same time, you got to do a weighted opportunity like the last eight weeks or some shit like that. I swear Kareem Hunt's going to be way up there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. um, he is. Oh, you have yep. him on there. Yep, he's higher on than per game basis, higher than Chubb. Yep. In a full PPR league, he has a he has a higher weighted opportunity than Chubb because of all his targets. But but Joey, remember, I see your face right now. 
<laughs> but remember, this is based on last year. And last year, there was a different coach in town, right? And things, you know, we have to put it in a little perspective and we have to take that with a grain of salt. I got we, we want to We want to assume that things are going to work out how we want, want it to work out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that being said, like Kareem Hunt is one of my favorite targets, right? Like I'm aiming for him to be my RB3 <laughs> Or flex in PPR leagues, and that's gonna—I—I I do think that's gonna give me a huge advantage. Um, now, I—I I don't think this was an error on the part of Pro Football Reference, but I need you to check out this stat on Nick Chubb. He was the most unlucky goal line running back last year, even unluckier than Leonard Fournette. Are you ready? Okay. He was third in attempts inside the five with 15. Guess how many he scored on? Ah, uh, what was it? 15. Six? 15 attempts inside the five. How many did he score on? Was it one? Two. Two. Out of 15 attempts inside the five, he scored on two. <laughs> nice. Guess how many yards he had on those 15 carries? Negative something. Negative 14. Nice, dude. No other running back had negative rushing yards inside the 15. I mean, I'm sorry, inside the five. <laughs> I think I saw, I remember seeing the stats. About that it. is ridiculous. Like, I, I was looking at profile. I was put, I, while I was doing research for this podcast i was looking i was like is that right like that's crazy um but yeah i mean like so but chubb still had eight touchdowns last year <laughs> right R- yeah. russian touchdowns so imagine um, if he had 15 more <laughs> I, right exactly. <laughs> um i think like that's probably part of the reason why kareem hunt outscored chubb in six of those eight games after yeah. hunt returned last year um in ppr leagues by the way uh but still hunt has been efficient like you said in the passing game his whole career um, he averaged 5.5 targets per game last year, um, was on the field for more than 50% of snaps. Uh, for me, I think keeping Hunt off the field, and we're talking about this new change, right, for, to this new uh, coaching regime, right? Um, Kevin Stefanski coming in now. Um, we know it's going to be run heavy, right? Um, but for me, like, you obviously have Nick Chubb, I think one of the maybe a top three rusher in the league maybe. Um you know, I think keeping Hunt off the field, though, is just – it would be irresponsible, right? The talent leaps off yep. the page with him, right? I do think that this will be a committee, right? Is there a chance that Trump is the guy? Yes, there is a chance. There is a world where that, that's the case. But, you know, who knows what Kevin Stefanski has plans for. Uh, I think a one-two punch makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? In weeks 10 to 17 last year, Hunt was the RB17 in PPR. Um, and it's not like he scored a shit ton of touchdowns or anything. That would inflate that, right? He was a solid RB2. Um, and he's being drafted as the RB26, right? Like, I, I don't I don't, I don't see a world where, like, he's going to score less than the RB26 for you. Um, and Nick Chubb is being drafted as the RB8. So, like, is there that much of a gap between these two guys in PPR production this year? I don't know, right? Um, and this is why I'm aiming for Hunt. I do think both are talented enough to be any team's workhorse back. And since they have two guys, I think both will be used to simply make their offense more dynamic. Um, now, like I said, there's that risk that Kevin Stefanski goes all in on Nick Chubb, and, you know, he's that good, you know, so I wouldn't blame him. But it's not like there's a, a non-zero chance that Hunt, you know, is worthless. You know, unless Chubb gets hurt or something, I wouldn't bet that that happens. But I, I think that this is going to be a, a much closer share than, you know, their draft capital suggests. Yeah, and at the same time, Alexander Madison, I was just looking – he had almost 500 rushing yards last year as a backup. And that's not even including the games where Dalvin went down because then it was all Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah because Alexander Madison wasn't available. So 
Alexander Madison, I think, playing 12 games in a backup role at almost 500 yards on the ground. Right. And with a guy like Kareem Hunt, we're talking about his uh, potential. They say they might play him as a wide receiver three type guy. Right. You know, there was a report that came out that said behind OBJ and Jarvis Landry that Kareem Hunt would be that next guy up. Which is really interesting too, because I mean it makes sense. They want to get him in. That's telling me they really want to get him involved in the offense, but they want Nick Chubb to be the main rushing guy. Right. Interestingly enough, Jarvis Landry is coming off hip surgery. He may not be ready for the start of the season. If Jarvis Landry is on the pup list and makes, misses six weeks, maybe Kareem Hunt has a huge passing. I mean, he could have a huge passing oh, down be, role early I'll on. Be, I'll be so in on Hunt if that's the case. hundred percent. From everything I've seen with Jarvis Landry, that's a very, very good possibility that Jarvis Landry misses the first half of the season. Uh, first half, the first six games, I'm sorry. Wow, wow that's <laughs> interesting. That's, that's a really interesting nugget right there. Um, but, yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, and it's funny, like, when you bring up Madison, Madison was just a rookie last year. You know, yeah. he wasn't an established guy. Kareem Hunt is, is a very established player, right? Now, obviously, the sky was a limit for him, but he took a big step back because of his off-the-field issues. Right, he was a very established player, and we know what his talent is in the pros. Alexander, we can't say the same thing about Alexander Madison. So the fact that you know he was willing to have Madison on the field um, tells you a lot, right? And he's—I don't think he's gonna as as talented as Dalvin Cook is. He still wasn't willing to just like have Dalvin Cook, all, all, you know, on the off the field a ton, um, you know, on on the field like 100% of the time. Although. You know, he did have his share, fair share of injuries, so that could have played a, a big role in all that. But at the same time, I do think that these two guys, like the difference between them um, from a production standpoint, there's no reason to have one guy play way more over the other. And another thing, too, if you talk about all – I know we're going about Kareem Hunt for a while, but we got a lot I of good It's important, though. I think, I think he's, he's an important guy to talk about because, you know, it's th- this – not we're not just talking about Kareem Hunt here. We're hitting a lot of draft strategy, right? We're hitting yep. the fact that, like, hey, like, you know, you can be looking at Nick Chubb in the first. You can look, be looking at Kareem Hunt in the fifth. And, you know, maybe it's smarter to go after another guy, like the second guy. That's all. Yeah, and another thing about Hunt, we've talked about his pass-catching ability. But one thing we haven't talked about is his rushing ability. Because if you talk about, like, some of the most prolific pass-catching, like, I'll say, like, mainly pass-catching guys, like Austin yeah. Eckler, James White, Tariq Cohen, like, that type of player – Right. What separates a guy like Hunt is his ability as a runner. Yeah. Like if you put Kareem Hunt, if you, if you put Kareem Hunt, if you traded Austin Eckler and Kareem Hunt, just imagine Kareem Hunt would be a top five running back easily. Right. With all that rushing opportunity, all that passing opportunity, and Austin, it's funny. I just thought about that. Austin Eckler would pick it so perfectly into that if they just swapped. They should talk to each other. They should talk to each other because that would be so. That would be perfect. Okay, that would be perfect, dude. A little off topic, but uh, I, yeah. I like the trade idea right there. Don't don't, don't undermine Kareem Hunt's uh, passing ability. I mean, ability as a runner. I'm sorry. His rushing ability. Yep. Not passing ability. He can't play quarterback yet, as far <laughs> as we know. So a couple more guys. We're, we hit the hour mark, and we have one, two, three. We have a lot of guys to go through. So maybe, maybe let's, let's try to some half here. Goodness, we I, I, I think we like talking about these guys. I, I think we like we like talking football. I think that's the problem. Yeah, and and I don't want to take like if we're I don't want to I don't want I'm not the kind of person you're not the kind of person either who to like rush it. Right. You know, like I don't want to skip over important points because we want enough time to fit everybody else. So exactly. Um, so next guy, we'll see how many more we can fit. 
Um, Devin Singletary. I have him as my running back 23. He's expected to be the running back 1A, which he was towards the end of the season. And it's funny, you know, if you look at, like, the snaps he played, and you just wouldn't believe it, that he actually played 67% of the the snaps. And we talked about guys like David Montgomery playing less than that. When you look at David Seven Singletary, you don't exactly see him as a workhorse, but he kind of played that role towards the end of the year. He did. And it's interesting to see, they, they said Zach Moss, the guy they drafted, they want him to play a similar role to what Frank Gore played last year. So, um, but when? Right? Is it early Frank Gore or is it late Frank Gore? Because if it's late Frank Gore, Devin Singletary is going to be a huge value in the fourth, fifth round. But if we're talking about early Frank Gore, which I think is the more likely case, then, you know, Devin Singletary, even as the one, eh, I don't know how many touchdown, how much touchdown opportunity a guy like Devin Singletary is going to get. Right. He's not going to get all that much on the ground between Josh Allen and Zach Moss. Uh, he's behind a meh offensive line, but he, he is like the definition of just, he'll take any touch for like 10 yards. I think, in the first two weeks he played, I think he was averaging 10 yards a touch. <laughs> so He looked good, man. He was a rookie. Like I, I was at that Jets game, that first Jets-Bills game. Yeah. I feel like he was – in the second half, he was so involved in the pass game. I was like, dude, like I'm in the Jets game. You know, like in, at these games, like there's no service. You're know, like trying to like like take a look at these guys like on fantasy. You're like, is, is this guy on anybody's team right now? Because I'm about to pick him up. <laughs> Sitting over his bench, but – yeah, I mean, I think there's value to be had as a running back three, but in his floor, where, where would you put his floor? I mean, I think around like in the late 20s, he could be yeah. like a low end running back three at worst. Ceiling wise, I think his ceiling's also capped. Maybe like a high running back two, if anything. I would say, I would say like his his ceiling is his floor is low is higher than low end RB three man. Like I, I just because of how how involved that he's probably going to be in the passing game. You know, or what, but I mean, Zach Moss is also a capable pass catcher too. He is, he is. Um, and, and it's interesting because like both of these guys, and it's interesting that they said that, oh, they want to put him in the Frank Gore role because I'm like, this guy is nothing like Frank Gore. Like they're they're, they're different type of running back. So I, I didn't really understand that. Well, I think what they meant by that was, like, complimentary. He's gonna be Devin Singletary's compliment. Like I, that that's kind of what I what that meant. Um, but yeah, no, so Singletary like he was awesome. Right last year as a rookie, I think he was great. Um, he was playing a ton of snaps. He was very involved in the passing game. He had six games with four or more targets last season, I, and I was honestly ready to pay up for him this year. You know what I'm saying? But then the Bills had to go and draft Zach Moss, and I think Singletary will probably still be the main pass catching option. But Moss is also sneaky good in the receiving game as well. So he didn't get a ton of volume in college, right? Zach Moss, as far as like the, the passing game goes, but he was very efficient. Uh, he had the best yards per route run of any running back in this class, and when Crazy you look at efficient. yeah, and when you look at whether volume or efficiency in the receiving game has has been more important correlating success to the, at the next level, um, as far as the receiving game goes, it's actually been efficiency, right? And that's how if you looked at Alvin Kamara in college, he, he got a good volume for a college running back, but if you looked at his efficiency, you're like, oh, okay, he can do some things in the NFL, and if you saw that. And then you saw what offense he went to. You're like, okay, that adds up, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so anyway, so Zach Moss he checks that box. So it'll be interesting to see how their roles line up. Um, you know, and you know, the, that Frank Gore role that that the reports came out about mostly early down, mostly goal line. 
Um, and that would be fine. But, you know, he had a ton of forced missed tackles as well. Um, Zach Moss did. Like, historically good. Like, when you look at the <laughs> yeah. numbers. Um, so his yards after contact per attempt also have been ridiculous as well. So there's some serious upside with Moss. And the thing is, he's a little underrated. Um, which is why now I'm going to temper my expectations with Singletary. In a PPR league, he can, he can provide standalone value. But, you know, I think if either gets hurt, like the other can be a RB1. And we I saw think... that their coaches were mm-hmm. were um, willing to, like, have their guys play, like, 80% of snaps. Singletary was playing, like, 80% of snaps in a bunch of games last year. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing with Singletary is, like, where is he going to find his value, like – as a pass catcher, now they have Diggs, they have Cole Beasley, who saw a ton of targets in the middle last year. They have John Brown. Now, it's not really a passing team when you look at it from the outside. And then you look at the early down work. Sure, he'll be more efficient with the work he gets. But then Zach Moss is probably more of a guy who can carry that heavy load if need be. And then you say, okay, maybe, you know, end zone, goal line. No, that's probably going to be Josh Allen, and it'll probably right. be Zach Moss. So it's it's going to be tricky with, with this backfield. That's what it feels yeah. like, you know. And and I don't know if you're going to be happy spending uh like what is this price? Fifth round? Fourth, fifth? I, I'd assume yeah, that's fifth. a little. That's a little. Yeah, last last pick of the no, like right near the end of the fourth round. So, um, yeah, a little bit expensive for me, man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to move him down after we talked about him a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, like he's going like six spots ahead of uh, he's like the running back being taken before Kareem Hunt, and we just talked about a love affair love affair with Kareem Hunt. Oh, by the way, going back to Kareem Hunt for a second, right? In 2000, uh, and you you talked about his rushing game in 2017, his rookie year when he broke out. Um, he had league. yeah, he killed it, right? But he his yards per con his yards after contact per attempt was one two three four five six in the league, um, and that was like behind guys like Legarrette Blunt who was who who was first that year, right? Because yeah. he's just a big bruiser. Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis, Marshawn Lynch, Mark Ingram, and Kareem Hunt. I love um, putting Deion Lewis in that list. <laughs> dude, Deion Lewis when he joined Tennessee, it was amazing because like. The amount of amount of yards after contact was like so crazy for a guy his size, but he just knew how to you know avoid tackles. He's and one of the most elusive running guys. How to do it? Yeah, one of the most elusive guys in the league. Right. Anyway. Anyway, so a guy we touched on a little bit earlier, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I have him at twenty four. Um, now I have him at twenty three. I just moved Singletary down in my mind, but um. So Jonathan Taylor, well, Jonathan Taylor, Mark Ingram, I'm going to pair these two guys up here because it's funny. I I think, I don't know if we talked about this in the mock. I feel like I've said this before when I was deciding about who I wanted on my team. And um, I talked about how Jonathan Taylor is going to be that second half guy. He's going to be that second half guy in the year who can win you you your league with what he does in the second half as he becomes more acclimated to the offense. Mark Ingram is going to be that early guy who in the first half of the season is going to score more and then kind of fiddle out a little bit as J.K. Dobbins sees an increased role. So they're both going pretty similar to each other around the same time. So it's really about what you want. And I don't know why you wouldn't want that late-round guy. I don't know why you wouldn't want a Jonathan Taylor, someone who's going to go off in the second half of the year. But I do have some issues with Jonathan Taylor. And none of it, by the way, is as a runner. 
I think he's going to get over five yards carry with that offensive line easily. Uh, he's a beast of a runner. I don't have any problems with him as a runner. As a pass catcher, he had nine drops on 50 catchable targets. Um, he's been a little inconsistent in that sense. He, I, I think he had 20 or something catches in his last year. He had eight catches the two years before, even after seeing such a crazy workload um, as a runner all three years. So, on top, of, he he's not a great pass catcher. He's not a he's a capable one, but he's not a consistent one. And then on top of that, Marlon Mack, who I I've been a little harsh on the guy, but he he's not a bad runner. He's not a bad running back by any means, and he is going to be a thorn in his side. And Marlon Mack is could take like five ten carries a game, which isn't that huge of a deal. Like I said, Jonathan Taylor is going to be five yards per carry easily. But um, it, it does hurt him a little bit in that sense. And then on top of that, Jonathan Taylor has had some huge fumbling issues as well. So if he continues to fumble, if he's losing some catches, uh, if he's losing some work to Marlon Mack on the ground, and then Naheem Hines, who I'm in love with. Nobody else is in love mm-hmm. with, but I'm in love with Naheem Hines. He's going to be the main pass catcher, in my opinion. So it limits him in that aspect. So you really limited to a guy who... You're relying on what he does in the ground. Let's say if he gets 100 yards and a touchdown, that's 16 points. That's not running back one material. And you're relying on him to get that type of production week in and week out. Not that it's impossible to do with his situation, but, you know, if he sees a larger role towards that role towards the end of the year, he could definitely be a high end running back, too. But um, I'm just not as high on him as some other people are. He was my he was my running like out of the top three in the class that were coming in this year. I think number one for me was J.K. Dobbins. Number two was Taylor. And then number three was DeAndre Swift, who we'll talk about in a little bit as well. But right. um, not not as much of a fan as Dobbins, as uh, on Taylor as some other people. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Taylor. He's my one-on-one. Like, if I'm, if I'm in, a, in, a, in a rookie draft, he's my one-on-one. Um, and, and as far as redraft goes, I think he does have league-winning upside. Um, but right now, he just has a committee problem, right? Mm-hmm. Marlon Mack... He's no slouch, right? But he's not Taylor, right? Naheem yeah. Hines, like you said, he's going to be the main pass catcher in that backfield. Uh, even though I, I, I think Taylor profiles as a true bell cow. I think he's very capable in the receiving game. Yeah, he had drops. But drops don't the, the drops don't really mean that at the next level that you can't catch passes or you're not going to be capable. No, he's definitely capable. He was only behind Zach Moss in yards per route run, um, you know, out of all the draft-eligible backs. So he, he has it, right? Um, now – this is probably not how Frank Reich wants to roll, like with him being a bell cow. And I mentioned this before when he was the offensive coordinator of the Chargers when they drafted Melvin Gordon in the first round. Gordon was in a committee with Danny Woodhead. Similar situation, right? That comp would be to Naheem Hines. Um, but, you know, they also have a very capable guy, Marlon Mack, as well on top of that. So if this were to reduce down to like a two-back committee between Taylor and Hines with like Mack in the background, this can easily be a three-man backfield to start the year. And I think that's what's going to happen. So in redraft, that's why I'm not grabbing Taylor, right? There are other options who will give me more value in week one. And I don't want to bank on him outperforming the rest of the backfield by so much that he's he's given the reins right um in dynasty like i said he's my one-on-one but in redraft this year i think the price is a little too high um for me because he's going like the fourth round early fourth round sometimes um now Mac isn't really the epitome of health right so if you end up 
with Taylor, there's a real chance that Taylor ends up being a serious asset at some point in the season, um, especially behind that offensive line. Um, now, like you said, he could break out, right? Second half of the season, that could definitely happen. Now, the way I would do it is instead of grabbing him in like the fourth round, I would just Trade. let someone else draft him. By low. Exactly. And after like week four, week five, you know, you send little peanuts, right? You send like, hey, you know, Kenny Stills had like a two touchdown game or some <laughs> shit. And then pair him up with like, you know, David Mark Montgomery. Ingram. David Montgomery, who just had three games of like 13, 12, and 18 carries. And then you're like, all right, well, you know, let's see. Look, he just had his 18 carry game. It's going to happen. And then the Jonathan Taylor guy is just like, well, John Taylor isn't really doing much for me right now. So, and I only have two wins. So let me do this deal. You know, it's a shitty deal. I don't know where I got this deal from, but like, it's like, <laughs> it's the shittiest deal of all Kenny time. Kenny Stills and Dave Montgomery, go get him. Go get him. For, <laughs> it's kind of, Kenny Stills, Stills is not, in jail. He's, he's literally he's in jail. In jail. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that, listen. Kenny Stills might not have a lot of value today, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, he has zero value today. Zero. But in week five, he might have some value. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. So like, that's part of the reason why. But uh, what about Mark Ingram? How are you? How you feeling about him? And if you had to choose between the two, like in redraft leagues, who would you rather have? Um, I, I came to that decision not too long ago. So, Mark Ingram. If I was guaranteed to pair Mark Ingram with J.K. Dobbins, I would take Mark Ingram over Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but the only thing with Mark Ingram, like I talked about him being an early guy. So last year, Mark Ingram had 15 total touchdowns with 48.3% of the snaps. This guy wasn't even in for over half the game. When he was in the game, they were using him. He had over 200 carries. But um, point being, like he wasn't like. He wasn't always on the field. And a lot of this, honestly, can be contributed to how the Ravens played their games last year. There is a chance for Mark Ingram's snaps to go up. Interestingly enough, every time the Ravens blew another team out, which happened way more than it should have, they just kind of... I mean, how many? How, how, how much was Robert Griffin III on the field last year? Like, too much, I would say. Right. However much it was, it was too much. Because they got up so high in so many games to the point where they took starters out so much. In the game, Mark Ingram played his best when it was a competitive game. In the competitive games, he had like 50 60% of the snaps. But in the games where they totally blew the other team out of the water, it was like, like it happened so fast, he didn't even have the chance to get value. So that compiled with having J.K. Dobbins in this backfield, who, for me, was the best running back in this class. I know Jonathan Taylor, uh, as a runner, I would say Jonathan Taylor is definitely the best runner. But as a complete running back, I would say it's J.K. Dobbins. And if you look at what J.K. Dobbins does after he gets past that line of scrimmage, he is, I mean, I, I was looking for some sort of quality between all of these running backs, for something, to, someone to separate themselves. And J.K. Dobbins had that. He's just... The only way I can describe him is smooth, the way he acts and when he gets past that line of scrimmage. So uh, we'll talk about him a little later. We'll see, hopefully. <laughs> but um, but uh, between Mark Ingram and Jonathan Taylor, if I know I can pair Ingram with J.K. Dobbins, I would take Ingram in a heartbeat. And um, I, I might take Jonathan Taylor, though, just because I like that upside. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I'm think back about the upside, on the right? fence. 
Yeah, I think with Taylor, it's about the upside, right? Between the two, I would say that Taylor does have more upside. Um, now, like, obviously, there's no doubt that Mark Ingram was touchdown dependent last year, but when you're on an offense like the Ravens, you know, it tends to be, tends to work out, right? It's, it's fine. Um, now, I think we would have been a lot happier if Ingram, if Ingram actually got volume mm-hmm. on what was a ridiculously high volume rushing attack, right? But he didn't, right? He averaged 15 touches per game, and it seemed like 15 carries was his cap, right? They only give him the ball more than 15 times twice last season. Yeah, like Gus Edwards quietly rushed for 711 yards on only 70 carries, less than garbage time. Yeah, you know Ingram capitalized with his goal line carries, right? He was only two two goal line carries away from the lead in attempts inside the five, um, and he scored eight of his ten rushing touchdowns that way. Um, And then he scored five receiving touchdowns in the last six games, which I I think think two or three of them came in one game. Yeah, it was like super fluky, like he because. Like, he caught f- those five receiving touchdowns on only 12 catches in those six yeah. games. So he only caught two catches per game, averaged two catches per game over those six games and caught five touchdowns on them. So, you know, you, you bring in J.K. Dobbins now, who, who's a beast, an obvious upgrade over Gus Edwards, right? So uh, upgrade over both, potentially. And this can be closer to a 50-50 split. Um, Dobbins has a ton of experience in the RPO, uh, more than any other back in this draft. Uh, he has a ton of experience running out of shotgun, so there are a ton of a ton of similarities between what the Ravens are doing and what he did at Ohio State. He fits perfectly, um, and I think it's crazy to say, but like like you said, I think Dobbins has more upside than Ingram. Um, yeah. Gus Edwards had six rushes inside the five yard line himself, uh, and he didn't score on any of those. So if Dobbins can actually show that he's good at the goal line too, maybe that gap closes a little bit between him and Ingram. Um, Ingram's in the fourth, Dobbins is in the seventh, as far as ADP goes. Um, they spent a second round draft pick on him. Draft capital is there. Um, and who would you rather have? Like, I would rather have the clear goal line guy, but I'm not sure there is a clear goal line guy right now. Like I would guess Ingram because he's always been a goal line, good goal line back, like in his career. Um, but the Delta might not be that big between him and Dobbins. Um, you know, they're almost the same size, right? Like we know what Ingram's cap is. Like, we know that Ingram's cap is, like, 15 carries a game. And, and maybe Dobbins' cap is not at 15 carries a game since, he, like, he's a young buck, right? Um, exactly. Young buck and, you see what I did there? Ah. And, and, they're, <laughs> but, and maybe they were just trying to keep Ingram healthy, right? Because he's, like, 30 years old now, right? Yep. Like, they don't want to give him too much work. So Dobbins coming in, like, why would you cap that dude at 15 carries a game? And, by the way, I think the fact that they – were up by such a large amount in so many games, it hurt Ingram more than we think. Because I'm looking at, I have Robert Griffin's stats in front of me. Okay, ready? Let's play a little game here. How many games do you think Robert Griffin played? 12. Oh, seven. Okay. But in those seven games, he had 38 pass attempts. And this isn't, this wasn't a Lamar Jackson got hurt sort of situation. This right. is what, seven, like five? Like five, six pass attempts a game, right? Right. So, I mean, he had a touchdown, 225 passing yards, 70 rushing yards. That's just too much for a backup. And what it really tells me is that they were just, I mean, even like if you look at first of that Miami game, I mean, I, I think it was like by the end of the third quarter, halfway through the third quarter, it was just the Robert Griffin show for the rest of the game. So, um, assuming, I mean, the team only got better. It only got better this offseason. So you want to assume that Lamar can't 
uphold that consistency and play at that level um, in that they'll have a little bit of a downfall to the point where Ingram is on the field longer. But at the same time, I think they're, they'd be jumping. Like, when they put Gus Edwards in, I'm sure it was like, all right, take Ingram out, go put Gus, let him run out the clock. <laughs> With a guy like Dobbins, they're like, let's go see what he can do. Like, let's let's take Ingram off the field. Let's put Dobbins in there. Let's have him catch some passes, do some fun plays. So I, I think they'll be wanting to put J.K. Dobbins on the field. So that could hurt Ingram. It, it, it's kind of a messy situation. But at the same time, if the offense – it's so funny. If the offense gets worse, Mark Ingram could get better? Question mark? I don't know. No, I, you were just saying – you're basically saying that if Mark if, – if, if they're in they more competitive games, stop blowing these teams Mark, out. He could yeah. do something. Right. No, I heard you. I heard you. And, and your point, your your point is well taken because Gus Edwards, like uh, I think it looks like about sixty percent of his sixty five percent of his rushing uh, totals have been come have come in the second half of games, right? Um, yeah, two hundred sixty two <laughs> yards, forty six attempts for two hundred sixty two yards in the first half of games. 87 attempts for 449 yards in the second half of games. Absolutely. So, and I mean, J.K. Dobbins is my 30th ranked running back, but we kind of just covered most of him there. So, I mean, like, Ingram, I have here, like, Ingram was the running back one, and he was playing less than 50% of snaps. So, I mean, there there's a world where J.K. Dobbins gets that other 50, so to speak. Yeah. And that he does something similar to what Ingram did last year. And he could be much more of a value at his current ADP. Uh, they already labeled him a three-down running back uh, via, I think it was Harbaugh. I think it was Harbaugh who said they, they love him as a three-round running back. Did you see his reaction to getting, no. I think it was his reaction to, I think it was Duvernay. Either Duvernay or J.K. Dobbins, that he was like really excited but that they were able to get him. And he fits this, it's that. You know, he's they had perfect. more rushing attempts than they almost 600 rushing attempts last year, which is like unheard of. So. Right, and, and and this is Ingram's <laughs> last year of his contract, right? He's most likely. I think gone. he's got two years, but he's got an out after this year. Oh, does he have an out after this year? And he'll probably be out. I mean, I don't think they're going to pay him. Um, yeah, I think so, he knows that too. So J.K. Dobbins, <laughs> like he, his sky's the limit. In in 2021, man, like it's going to be sweet, man. I can totally see J.K. Dobbins going near the top two rounds. In next year's draft, you definitely should be, definitely, definitely should be. So, um, that's nice. We were able to knock out two guys there. There you go. So, okay, the next guy, I'm gonna take the lead on because I I think I'm the only truther left on the face of the earth. Let's see if you're a truther after uh, after this podcast. <laughs> well, what do you have against my guy here? All right. So the guy's Darius Geis. He's my running back 27. I probably have him higher than a lot of people think he should be. But hear me out. Okay. So obviously he's had a lot of injury issues. The injuries are a huge concern. Um, he had a nasty ACL tear two years ago, right before, right in preseason. Uh, he missed his entire first year. That ACL got infected, delayed his recovery. The following season, he tears his meniscus on the opposite knee, which is important, the opposite knee, right? <laughs> Yo, Joey, I'm dying over here, bro. And then he had an MCL tear, and not, then he had a sprained MCL on the original knee, which is, you know, whatever, <laughs> sprained MCL, who cares? But, 
The uh, meniscus was on. You, I'm trying to figure out where the positive is. <laughs> like where you're going. This is I had to get the negative out of the way first. That's the most important thing. So, first of all, getting so preluding to the ACL and the meniscus, you can't label him as injury prone. The ACL did not cause the meniscus and the meniscus was not caused by the ACL. You're prone to soft tissue injuries the year after ACL uh, surgery. So especially because it was delayed. Hold on, man. One, ah. can, one can argue. Okay. One can argue that, you know, you, you if something happens on one leg and, you, and you're kind of recovering from it, that you kind of favor the other leg. You favor that leg and the other leg is doing more work. Tissue, soft tissue injuries happen because of his surgery. All right, all right, Dr. Joey. All right, man. All right. <laughs> Go for it. Go okay. for it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All the By the way, do you know how Frank Gore started his career? Same way? He So Frank Gore, early in his career, his do not first tell me he started like, like Darius Geisley. He had two had like ACL tears and a meniscus tear. Really? In his first three. And he's 35 years old. He's still playing in the NFL. But you know so what's different about Frank He's 35 years old. He's older than that. He's still playing. His first three years, he had two ACL tears and a meniscus tear. Wow. And he's still playing today. That That's the best point I think I could have brought up for that. And we're just talking about his injuries right now. We're not even talking about the player. So in five games last year that Geist played, he averaged 11.6 points per game. Not bad. Not bad, right? Including his first game back from the meniscus tear. This will tell you that he's still an explosive player. The first play, he broke off a 45-yard reception touchdown. That was the very first play he was back on the field. Um, and if you remove the games, like we did this before with James Conner, if you take out the games where guys was injured during the game, which would be week one and his last game, he averaged 15.5 points per game. And a lot of that came after the meniscus tear. So he's still an explosive player. He's 23 years old. He was an elite college athlete. If you saw this guy on tape, he was bouncing off defenders just like Marshawn Lynch. That's who everybody was comping him to when he was coming out of college. He was easily one of my favorite running backs in the class. He's recovered from his MCL sprain. Obviously, the meniscus is a bit of an issue, but he's been working out a ton this offseason. If you've seen the videos of him putting the pressure on his knee, he's been doing fine. He's been doing all the workouts. And he's a great pass catcher. I mean, this is a... Tr- this is the definition of a true workhorse back if he's on the field and healthy. If he's on the field and healthy, 16 games, he'd easily be a low-end running back one, even with this bad offensive line. Because what I talked about before, that 15.5 points per game, that was last year. That was with A lot of that was with uh, Dwayne Haskins, right? He didn't have the luxury of playing with Case Keenum when they had a reliable quarterback, in a sense. Imagine, imagine calling Case Keenum a, a luxury. <laughs> But that's what it was. That's what he was last year. Ultimately, like, he made Dwayne Haskins better. Like, he gave Dwayne Haskins the ability to dump off the ball to him and look for other weapons. He he had a huge presence in the running game. So, obviously, there's a very big chance this is a running back by committee. But he had 5.8 yards per carry last year. A little fluky because he didn't get that much work. Um, the offensive line, they still have Morgan Moses. And they still have Brandon Sheriff. Right. So they still is Morgan Moses on the team. Yeah. I don't want to get that wrong. But they still have Brendan Sheriff, who two of the better offensive linemen in the league. The rest of the line is pretty shaky, but it's not a terrible. Ter- There's other lines who are worse. 
Um, and one another thing, I want to talk about Antonio Gibson for a second because everybody's saying how Antonio Gibson is going to be a huge thorn inside. I really don't believe that. So Antonio Gibson in Memphis, right? Not a big school. We talked about Daryl Henderson. Daryl, we didn't talk about Daryl Henderson, but Daryl Henderson coming in from Memphis. Everybody was like, oh, you know, he was so efficient in college. He did so well, but he's playing at shit schools. That's true. Right? I mean, and then Daryl Henderson leaves. You'd say, oh, maybe a guy like Antonio Gibson would be the workhorse, but he wasn't. He barely saw any work. He did great with the work he saw, but those were designed plays. And he was was mostly involved in the passing game, though. He he was mostly involved. When they drafted him, and when the Redskins drafted him, right, in my head, I'm like, why do they need another running back? If anything, they got just they just got Bryce Love last year, whatever the case. They had Adrian Peterson, they have Darius Geis. I don't see the need for them to draft another running back, but I think it was more of a luxury. They also signed, what's his face from Peyton Barber? Fox, Peyton Barber. Fuck Peyton Barber. I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, look how crowded this room is. Like, 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 they definitely didn't need another early down back. That's for sure. They definitely didn't. That's for sure. But um, let's see. So it, my friend, uh, Fantasy Docs, Nathan Nitwa. I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess his name up. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Natwa. So he talked about how he's not really too much concerned with his injury history as much as the credit backfield. So obviously the meniscus is going to be the only thing. But two years removed from that ACL is usually when, especially running backs, are in the prime position to bounce back in that sense. Um, yeah, there, there's not that many running backs in the sixth, seventh round that you say, like, look, if Darius Geis plays 16 games, he could be a running back one, even in this offense. They would lean on him. And we talked about how Frank Gore started his career. I'm just really in on Darius Geis. I've been in on him since his rookie year. Maybe I have – I've transitioned from Corey Davis fever to Darius Geis fever and I'm hoping it just works out so much better than Corey Davis did. Not a good call. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Darius Geis like, as a person. Like, I yeah. think, like, he's fun. Like, I want him to succeed, you know? He, um, like, he's a cool guy. Yeah, no, he. I think he is a cool guy. Like, I try to dislike him. But, <laughs> he blocked um, me on Instagram. He blocked you on Instagram? Yeah. Dude, does he know that you're Darius Geis truther? Yo, I'm going to DM him and be like, yo, you blocked my boy Joey. He's your biggest fan. I bro. made a post about him last year because he was coming off an ACL tear. I wasn't did, a fan did of Did you post. tag him? I did. It was dumb. Why are you, why are you tagging players, man? Shit. Do you still tag players now? When it's a good post. I when it's a good post. Good. <laughs> That's what you got to do. That's what you I learned my mistake. I'm also yeah. blocked by Matthew Berry for whatever fucking you know. Matthew Berry blocked you, man? Matthew <laughs> yeah. Berry. Anyway, uh, yeah, I like my assumption is that Geis is going to be the lead back for the Redskins this year. Um, they have Adrian Peterson, who they just re-signed. Um, Peterson has this weird habit of like signing to places without talking to the coach about his role. Like multiple times, like since he was over the hump, like this should happen in New Orleans. Like he signed a contract and then he's like, "Wait, what? Like I'm only going to get four carries a game? Like what's going on?" And then last like, year they start him in the inactive list. Yeah, exactly. Last year he had a problem with that, right? Because Geis was the guy in week one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he got hurt. But now, um, now, the, now, like, the way that Scott Turner describes Peterson's role is, quote-unquote, there is a role for him on this team. <laughs> so there's not really, like, a ringing endorsement. It's right here. Right? <laughs> but Geis, uh, I think Geis is the favorite right now to be the main guy. But um, I do think that Antonio Gibson uh, likely will be a big part of the pass game as well. Um, yeah. Geis can catch, too, and I, I think he will – 
still catch some balls on early downs if Gibson, you know, is like some guy, a guy who they bring in on on passing downs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I think everyone wants to compare like the way that Turner used Christian McCaffrey last year, and 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 that was because Christian McCaffrey is like a one of one skill set type of guy. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that Turner is going to try. That's why I didn't even bring it up. Yeah, it doesn't mean that Turner is going to try and turn everyone into McCaffrey. But to me, I think, like, Geis is just, like, he's just a flyer to me. Like, he has a lot of injury risk uh, because of his meniscus repair. Um, And more about, like, him actually being able to play, have a huge workload because of that meniscus repair. So I, I think that combined with the crowded running back room is why I'll probably stay away from him this year. Um, I just... I, it depends on who's on the board at that spot and also where my running back, how my running backs look. Like, if I can afford to take a running back for upside, then I might go in that direction. But um, it does, there isn't too many drafts where I think that I'm going to be at that position, at that spot, to, to look at him and say, like, all right, I'm going to take him as, as a flyer. Okay. I can respect that. And at the same time, do you remember what we talked about before with uh, Evan Ingram? How we talked yeah. about how with these injury-prone guys, we kind of have to downplay the injury scenario because of COVID, right? Because of any player could be taken out at a week's notice from mm-hmm. a couple weeks at a time. So right, right. we talk about who the player is when that player is on the field. And Darius Geis did prove when he came off the meniscus tear that he can score 15, what is it, 15 points uh, per game? Okay, that's where I'm going to disagree with you because I don't think he has enough body of work in the NFL to say that he's going to be able to do it. Okay, I, I, I can respect I, not I seeing from, enough of it. I can I respect that. Yes, I haven't seen enough of, of Darius Geis. Like, I've seen flashes. Like, mm-hmm. there have been a couple runs where I'm like, holy shit, like, this guy is good, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just wish that he could stay healthy and, like, do more of it. You know what I mean? So that's why I like him. I want I'm a fan. I want him to succeed, you know. With Evan Ingram though, it's different because we we he's a we have seen. like we've he seen 70, like, 700 yards in his rookie year. So yeah, man, he killed it, you know what I'm saying? And by the way, I did more more research after our tight end podcast on Evan Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the two concussions, the two MCL sprains which doesn't tend to reoccur, uh the Liz Frank injury is the main issue. Um and I think the main concern is that there could be a dip in production but not necessarily re-injury. So uh, if there's a slight reduction in production in production, a dip in production, like a 25% dip in production with Evan Ingram, like, is that something you need to be really crazy worried about? No, I don't think so. Because like his, his seal, his normal production is amazing. Yep. Right. And then if you just take away 20, 25% of that, it's still good when it comes to a tight end. It's still better than a lot of other. So now I'm looking at him in the seventh round and I'm like, hmm, Looking kind of juicy right there. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Anyway, so that's that's my Darius Guy spiel. There's your Darius Guy spiel, and there's my uh, injection of a random tight end in this in this what? podcast. <laughs> uh, same division. Okay. That's so, all. That's the only thing that has to do with it. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Some relation injuries, same division, eh, maybe. Uh, so let's try to fit in at least these two guys here. Yes. After that, uh, we'll see, you know, where we stand. But so DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, two rookie running backs who I'm not really high on at all. Um, I've been swapping between which one of these two guys I like better. Uh, but we'll talk about Cam Akers first because I know you're you're a little bit of a Cam Akers fan. So he could walk on 
as the team's running back one, and I think he will. But it's a pass-heavy offense. How involved is he going to be in the passing game? Todd Gurley last year, uh, he, he was relatively involved, but now they have Tyler Higbee, who had that big finish to the year. Gerald Everett's going to be healthy on the field. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Like, I, and, you know, he's a rookie. I don't know how much you want to really rely on him in that aspect. At the same time, it's an awful offensive line. They didn't do anything to improve that. I think they were ranked 32nd last year. So um, that's not helpful. And then, you know, like they have, if Daryl Henderson is healthy, he could have somewhat of a role. I think Daryl Henderson is going to be spotty here and there. He could take some early down work, take some passing down work. Malcolm Brown could easily be that goal line back, right? He could easily have that goal line role. So I, I'm just not too hot on where Cam Akers stands in this pass-heavy offense where Jared Goff's going to be throwing the ball 40 times a game. He really needs to rely on being a part of that, a consistent part of that passing game. If he does get that locked down, I'll go back in a word and I'll say he'll be a running back too. But I, I just have doubts as a rookie for him to come in with a limited training camp, a limited offseason, come in and be that main guy in passing down situations. So um, I have my doubts about Cam Akers. I don't love the offensive line. I don't love the fact that it could be a three-way backfield. So um, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a Todd Gurley situation where he comes in and just commands this role. So uh, I'm not too hot on Cam Akers. Yeah, I don't think Cam Akers has a ton of competition to be the 1A in this backfield. The Rams took him with their first pick. Yeah, uh, I guess he that, 1A. Yeah, Daryl Henderson hasn't shown much. Um, but I don't think there's going to be 1B and C. You know what I mean? Um, Daryl Henderson hasn't shown much. And they drafted Akers a year after they drafted Henderson. If they really thought they had something in Henderson and they just needed a, something to complement him, I don't think they would have drafted somebody high enough they might have waited. This is a deep running back class. They could have waited. Um, I guess, but at the same time, I don't. I don't know where their priorities lie because last year they traded up for Daryl Henderson, and I feel like for them Henderson would have been that complement to Gurley, like long term wise. Yep. Would have been that complement to keep Gurley healthy. So I yep. feel like they have a set role for Henderson, who by the way was injured a lot of last year and didn't really get to play to his full potential either. Although I'm still on board with the whole small school, it's explosive, can't really count right. on that. But um, I I, th- I don't think this is the last we've seen of Henderson, who, by the way, had 9.3. No, no, I don't think so. I, I actually think that he is a compliment, right? Like, And he's going to serve that and same then, role At the now. same time, Malcolm Brown had five rushing touchdowns last year. Right. So I, I, I still think it's going to be somewhat of a committee, but I do agree that Cam Akers does come in and gets the at least the uh, the head of the work in this backfield. Yeah, no, I I can totally see that. You know, and and like when you look at Malcolm Brown, like you know that first game that I think the first game of the season he had two touchdowns, right? And everyone's like panicking about Todd Gurley, but Todd <laughs> Gurley got that work later on. Later yeah. on, when they realized that they they needed some production in that backfield and they weren't getting it with those other guys. Now mm-hmm. they had a whole year. See, with Daryl Henderson, is that like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like they draft a guy, like okay, he's going to be the complement to Todd Gurley. It's just like the Chiefs, right? When the Chiefs drafted Nicole Hardman, I think if Tyreek Hill wasn't in a shitload of trouble at that point, they wouldn't have drafted Nicole Hardman, 
right? I think if Todd Gurley was completely healthy and he didn't have all of these questions surrounding his knee, they wouldn't have drafted Daryl Henderson. But then would they have drafted right? Cam Akers? Now, what's that? Would they have drafted Cam Akers then? If they already had Todd Gurley on the team and not cut him? No, I yeah. don't think so. I think they, yeah. they wanted – I think more than anything, they wanted to save $10 million on a running back. Right? <laughs> like, I think that's really what it came down to. Like yeah. if Todd Gurley was $5 million, would they have cut him? Probably not. I, I, I Probably not, right? I mean I think, you know, I think not – and when you talk about COVID, dude, like I think not getting any rookie, including him, um, in front of coaches during this pandemic, it hurts all these rookies, including yeah. Akers. You know, he. I think he profiles as a potential three-down back off the bat. Not an every-down back, but a three-down back, meaning he gets three-down capable. Yeah, he gets an opportunity opportunity in all three downs. Um, like the way I kind of see this backfield shaking shaking out is Acres like as the one A getting opportunity in all three downs, maybe like sixty percent, seventy percent of the snaps at best, uh, with Henderson coming in as a compliment, right? I don't think Malcolm Brown adds much, to be honest. I think bringing him on the field uh, will be, like, from a safety perspective, like, you know, don't fuck this up perspective, right? Like, well, it's like when there's a play where, like, oh, you know, a particular thing needs to happen where, like, exemplary pass blocking on a certain play, something like that. Mm-hmm. All right, put put Malcolm Brown in, right? Um, and that's okay, right? Like, Akers has experience with a terrible offensive line throughout his college career, right? And has averaged still like five yards a carry, still taking defenders with him. Um, his line isn't as bad as it was in college. You know, when you look at the two lines, right? Like this line can be better. Guys like Whitworth, who played like shit last year, if he can step up to what we know he is, um, he's young also guys, like thirty-eight. Yeah, but he's a he's better than what what he what he played as last year. And towards yeah. the second half of the year, this line played way better than they did in the first half. Um, those young guys got hurt early in the year on that line. Um, but yeah, like I think Akers is good at making something out of nothing, and he was one of the best in forced missed tackles and in yards after contact. Eighty um, percent of his production on the ground last year was after contact on the ground. So like, and you consider the fact that they still used Todd Gurley as a workhorse despite his knee issues last year, mm-hmm. even though they had Brown and Henderson. That tells me a lot as well. So for, for me, like, I would I'll be fine drafting him as like. Uh, one of my bench running backs, like either my RB4 or, you know, RB3 at the most. But that would be a guy that's going to be on my bench to start the year, not necessarily somebody I'm, I'm comfortable necessarily putting in my flex in week one, only because of the whole COVID situation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if they had a real – by the way, all this news coming about, all about all these teams starting training camp next week for the rookies and stuff like that, ooh, I'm excited. It's going to be super interesting. Whatever I wish happens, we could go. I wish we could I go. But it's well, just I'm just not. happy this training camp. Like Some teams are just like, all right, training camp starting. Chiefs is starting next week. Texans is starting next week. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be great. So I'm happy. I'm happy that there's going to be some news coming out. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I wonder like how it's going to the work. Rumors. Media being there and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I can't wait. So then it comes to a point where where are you drafting Cam Akers, though? Because... From what I know, his ADP is like what, like maybe the tail end of the fifth, early sixth. Yes, exactly. So, and I don't know if that's a spot I really want to take a chance on a rookie. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. And and if I'm drafting today, like a real draft, it's gonna be mm-hmm. tough for me to draft any rookie. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, it's more like the way I look at it is that I'm projecting these guys to like have a normal camp, kind of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like. 
And if they if they go through a normal camp, where do I think they'll end up? Gotcha. That's how, how I'm looking at it, right? If I'm drafting a real draft today, like I'm not drafting John, I'm not drafting any of these guys because it's going to be especially wide receivers. You know what I'm saying? Let yeah. alone running backs. Like running backs have a lot easier time fit into schemes and be able to run the ball. But um, I, I just it's going to be hard for me to especially high draft capital like fifth round pick like on a rookie like that's really tough. Um, but if things go the way that I think they're going to go and they have a normal camp, I don't know how likely that is. But if they do have a normal camp, I think that it's going to be a situation where uh, the best guy is going to be on the field. I can see that. I can see that. Um, so let's get into this uh, this guy here, DeAndre Swift, who I have him at 28, but he's going to be going way down after this because the more I'm like talking about all these rookies and shit like that. I mean, DeAndre Swift, he's going to be in a committee, right? I mean, he, he's not even guaranteed to be the running back one on his team. Right, because Carry on Johnson, if he's on the field, if he's healthy, he's still a good running back. And I don't, I think is it's going to take. Well, he's not a bad running back. <laughs> but point being, DeAndre Swift, he's not a great pass protector. So I, he's a great pass catcher. Yes. Don't get me wrong, he's a fantastic pass catcher. But um, he's never been a workhorse. He's not a great pass blocker. And the Lions, you know, just. They haven't had a steady running back since Barry Sanders. So I, I don't know. It, it's just hard for me to trust. We talked about rookie. We'll put COVID, rookie, training camp, stuff aside. Just the player in general, it's hard for me to buy into a guy like DeAndre Swift in an offense like the Lions. Even though they do want to be a run-heavy team, um, I, don't, I don't know if they're really going to have that have a chance to have that type of identity with that defense, with all the hits they took, with losing Darius Slay. Um which I know was their choice. They got Jeff Okuda, but they don't really have any linebackers. Their defensive line took some hits. So I'm not, I don't know. I think they're going to be in a lot of passing situations, just like they were last year. I'm not buying into DeAndre Swift. I don't want to take him as my running back three. As my running back four, maybe, but even as upside, I think even if DeAndre Swift earns that running back one role, I think it'll be a one A. I think guys like Carry On can still be involved in this offense. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to be a committee with Carry On. Uh, even Carry On was never really handed the keys, yeah. right? Um, there was a period of like three weeks last year where he averaged more than seventy percent of snaps, but at that point he had like zero competition, right? Um, Swift has some competition with Carry On, although I I think that Swift is the is the superior talent here. Um, with all these rookies having no rookie camp and all that, obviously it's going to be tough to project them, you know, killing all their competition before the season starts. So if Carrion were to get hurt like he did in his first two years in the NFL, um, I think Swift will be a major commodity. Um, I, he'll have no other competition, right? Um, Carrion last year, he didn't have more than 53 rushing yards in any game last year, except against the Chiefs, who we know, is, you know, were terrible against the run. He was given 26 carries in that game. Um, he had more than 100 yards. But... You know, if I had to guess right now, uh, Swift, like if they have a normal camp, everything goes relatively smoothly, I think he's going to be their RB1. Um, and then Carrion is going to, you know, be that 1B. Um, he was extremely inefficient last year. But um, I think with early second round draft capital, like it's tough to be optimistic for Carrion. Um, yeah. He's talented as hell. Swift is talented as hell in the run game. He's a great pass catcher. Um, he definitely has some upside here. And, you know, we've seen, you know, certain roles in the past where Matt Stafford will gladly dump it down if he has a, a capable guy in the in coming out of the backfield. 
Um, so that can happen here with Swift. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, the only thing is that if Carryon stays healthy, it's going to be tough for Swift um, to really kind of like leap off the page as far as uh, as, as far as opportunity goes. Yeah, absolutely. My, my camera's falling here. I'm getting lower and lower. <laughs> <laughs> and that also means we're approaching two hours. So um, technically we got about five or six more guys to go through. But if you want what I was thinking, and I'll see if everybody else is interested in this, is we cap it off here. Uh, we have our first 15. The last 15 goes up to 30. I know I want to talk about Nehemiah Hines so badly, but I, but I can, I can wait a little bit. So what I'm thinking is we do wide receivers part two. We can have that out next week. And the following week, we'll go back and we'll do sleepers, guys that we haven't mentioned at each position. So we can go back and talk about quarterbacks. We didn't mention running backs, wide receivers, head, and we get one sleeper mega episode. Sounds good. Sounds good? Sounds good to me, man. All right, so that means we're going to end it off here at the 1 hour 52. Might have to shave it down a little bit, something like 50. Uh, about You got an hour 50 minutes of us talking to you guys, so I hope you guys <laughs> enjoyed some portion of that. <laughs> Joey, there's nobody here. Yeah, there's, there's nobody here. We're just talking to ourselves at this point. If you guys, Okay, I'm curious. If you guys are here, DM me or like comment. What What's the word? What word can we use? So yeah, like, DM us. DM us on Instagram. No, but like it has to be a word, like a secret word. Like say like French fries. Oh, say French fries. Word? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Do you like if you're here, fries? tell us like French fries or something. I'll see if I can get like, I'll give you 50% off like a draft kit or something. I'm just so right. curious. I just want to know if someone's like here. I just yeah. And if you to... DM me, I'll give you 50% off Joey's draft kit. So 100% <laughs> if you DM both. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm... I'm not trying to take all your money over here, Joey. <laughs> all right, well. That's going to end it for this week. Um, thank you, guys. It's hard to like follow up something like that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll be back with Wide Receivers Part 2 next week. And then stay tuned for that Sleeper episode in the future because that'll be really good too. So oh, yeah. thanks as always for following. For, <laughs> we're losing it. Thanks as always for being here for us. Follow us on Instagram. I'm at fantasy.football.analyst. Follow Faraz. If you're watching on YouTube, all our links will be in the description. So, all right. Thanks. See you guys. See ya.